Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ today. We are glad that you have chosen to join us for this week's sermon of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. God's Word is full of timeless truths that are relevant to our lives today. Here's this week's message. I'm going to read for you today from Ruth chapter 2. and telling this wonderful story, a blessed kind of picture of what the world could look like as it lives in the grace of God. Uh, Ruth chapter 2 says, uh, Now Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, When they go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, behind some in, in whose sight I might find favor. And so she said to her, Go, my daughter. And so she went. She went and gleaned in the field behind the reapers, and as it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Just then Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Well, to whom does this young woman belong? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers said, Well, she is the Moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the reapers. And so she came, and she's been on her feet from early this morning until now, without resting, even for a moment. And Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that is being reaped and follow behind them. I have ordered the young men not to bother you, and if you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. And then she fell prostrate with her face to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me. Now you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds." May you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, May I continue to find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, even though I am not one of your servants. This passage introduces a new character by the name of Boaz. It says he's a kinsman uh, uh, to Elimelech, part of that family. And now, in, in this time, a kinsman or a kinsman redeemer, according to some translations of their relationship, is one who rescues people in the family in their time of need. It's someone who helps them maintain their relationship with the tribe, with the family, who restores their brokenness that's due to familial loss. When someone is widowed, for instance, it preserves their privileges in the family. And so when they find that they no longer have a home, they no longer have a family surrounding them to take care of them, that they would find themselves with the home, that they would find themselves fed, that they would find themselves taken care of and maybe given the opportunity to have a family again. In moments of, of tragedy, it was left to the relatives to make sure Do not leave them behind. Make sure they are still well taken care of. And one of the practices at that time was to make sure someone who had been widowed would have an opportunity 
to have a family. In fact, that was part of Naomi's cry to her daughters-in-law, if you remember from last week, when she very hyperbolically said, I cannot have a child for you to marry, I'm too old. And Ruth is introduced once again in this passage as a Moabite. We remember from last week that the Moabites had been in conflict with the Israelites at different times. To call her a Moabite is, is not to allow us to forget her status as a foreigner, but not just any foreigner, but one that has acted violently and oppressively over the people of God in the past. It functions to remind us that people are more than just their nationality. Who someone is matters. Now, the way it reminds us she's a Moabite is kind of fascinating as well. It's kind of redundant. The, the person working the field says to Boaz, oh yeah, she's a Moabite. From the land of Moab? <laughs> like, that, that's what Moabite means. It's like when, when I first came here to Maine, I was surprised by the different accents I could hear. I was so used to, let's say, I just come from Arkansas. Most of the time, if I heard an accent, it was, it was a, a Hispanic accent. That's how I heard English, was with that accent. When I first came here, I, I remember one of the first accents I heard was Irish. And I was like, well, that's different. I haven't heard that before. That's amazing. And so I remember coming home and telling my wife, I heard this Irish accent from someone from Ireland. Like, 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 yes, that's what it is. It's an emphatic way of saying, I recognized where they're from. And so in the same way in the book of Ruth, he says, yeah, she's a Moabite. Yeah, from the land of Moab. I mean, yeah, that, that makes sense. But like, this is like clearly, without a doubt, this is somebody who is not from here. This is someone who's from the outside, and given their history, a Moabite is not going to be received particularly well. And so we, we hear in this emphasis again, and we were already told she was a Moabite in chapter 1, and it continues to say that for us. And they're going to continue to call her Ruth the Moabite throughout this book. It, it, but it reminds us that when we encounter someone, that they are so much more than their appearance, than their accents, and their customs. And of course, that's good to remember in a world that's facing conflict. History has taught us how easy it is to forget that when we encounter someone, they are so much more than whatever nationality we ascribe to them. That we have had and will continue to have living among us here people from Palestine, Israel, Ukraine, Russia, other places that will have conflicts. They are, and as we encounter them, they are still people with whom God might have a blessing for. And not just for them, but perhaps to anyone who might extend grace. They are people for whom God might have a great plan. They are people who are also created in the image of God. And we might find that by extending grace when we have those personal engagements, that we might be surprised by the grace God gives us as well. And this is exemplified in the story of Ruth. And now, Ruth tells Naomi, hey, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go glean among the fields. Now, glean is a weird word. We don't use it too often. I tried to think of all the times I've ever used the word glean. Uh, I think uh, I've, I've said things like I might glean information 
from like a professor or from, you know, I don't know, research in old newspapers or something like that? Uh, what, what, can I, what can I piece together? We might say we've obtained unique objects gleaned from years of shopping at flea markets or something like that. Or, or when asked a question about a situation or an occurrence that we don't have all the information about, and we're trying to say our best and discern what to say, we say, well, from what I was able to glean, like, like, I, I, think, I think those are probably the only times I've ever used the term, but it comes from precisely this background here. To glean is to harvest bit by bit. It's to get little pieces here and there, little at a time to gather small amounts from whatever is available to you. Gleaning the fields was a practice in that time where the outer rows of the fields were not plowed, were not harvested, and or I'm sorry, were not harvested, and the small bits that were left behind from the initial harvesting as, as they went through and they harvested the rest of the field, if some fell out or if some uh, was missed, they would leave that behind. And so what was left behind in the outer rows of the property were available so that the poor, the widow, the orphan, the alien, those who had no way yet of having proper, having a means of receiving food, could come and get some food, some, some, some basic resources for living. And this was more than a custom, but it was written into their laws. You can find it in Deuteronomy, in Leviticus, I think in Leviticus, Leviticus 19. It was... Antiquities welfare system, a way in which those who are not yet able to take care of themselves might be able to obtain some subsistence along the way, something so that they might be able to survive. And so in this story, we find that Ruth is a foreigner from a land that they have had conflicts with, and she is a drain on the economy. This is the way we are to look at this situation. That this is how we could very easily see the story of Ruth. And so this story shows us that there is something more, of course, to see in her, despite all the descriptors given about her situation. First, in this story, we recognize that there is a harvest. If you remember from last chapter, that the whole reason why Elimelech and Ruth's uh, mother-in-law left, Elimelech and Naomi left to Moab, was there had been a famine. And they had lived there in a new land and started to raise a family. But now the Lord has blessed the land with fruitful yields once again. And, now, and then next we see that Ruth is hard at work gathering whatever she possibly can find to take care of herself and Naomi. Now we don't know why Naomi's not there. Is she too old? Is she, is she, is she too, uh, does she have health concerns or issues to spend time gleaning in the fields? Is she still brooding over her loss? Is her depression of what she has lost paralyzed her activity? We don't know what's going on with Naomi. We just know that Ruth has embodied care. Ruth has embodied, I'm going to do whatever I can to meet your needs and to help us move forward from the situation that we are in. And Ruth is there, providing in the only way she knows how, gleaning the fields. And in chapter 2, verse 7, it says she's been on her feet since morning and without rest. It's the testimony of those who have been watching her on the field. And, and now, while I think that says a whole lot about 
Ruth's character and drive and, and decision for hard work, I think it's also a passage that indicates desperation. In this ancient welfare system, resources are quite limited. What you don't glean, someone else will. What you don't gather today will become tomorrow's hunger. And so she is doing everything she can to take care of them. Boaz notices this and tells her specifically how to obtain an advantage in his field. He says, you can take the preferred place among the women in my family that are working the field. You can take the preferred place when you go and find your water. You know where the men are? Where it would be scary? I've, I've told them to back off. You can go to that place for water. And he tells the men not to bother her. Now, when I was, I, I remember my dating days when I was very young. When someone said, you be nice to her or you treat her right, usually it was a family member warning you. <laughs> but if it wasn't, if it wasn't a family member, it was a, a friend. A friend who was saying, I think I like her. And if our friendship's going to continue, you're going to be nice to her and you're going to back off and you're not going to like her. <laughs> and it, was a, it was a way of kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of saying, hey, we're, we're feeling out what's happening here and, and uh, how, how, how close our friendship really is. And so we find in these verses that Boaz is indeed interested in Ruth. He's intrigued by the foreigner in his field. But this warning about getting bothered by the men in the field is going to be echoed as a concern from Naomi later in the chapter in the part that I didn't read. And the fact that her mother is going to warn her about who might try to bother her, we, we get a picture of just how dangerous and how fragile they are. To be vulnerable is to be surrounded by danger. This fragility is one that any woman has experienced if they've walked down the street alone with a man who seems to be following a little too close, or any woman who has been catcalled from a car has felt, anyone who has been taken advantage of in a moment of vulnerability, it is not safe for them as foreigners, as women, as people with no means and no connections for them to be in this place. And as the ones who are the most vulnerable, they are the ones who are most likely to be taken advantage of. And they are at the ends of their ropes, so they risk it just for the right to eat. And when she asks, when she discovers Boaz has done this for her, and asks, why have you found favor? He says he's heard about her kindness. He's heard about her grace. He's heard about her loving openness toward Naomi or the one who was part of the family. There is a theme in the book of Ruth, a theme of grace. And there's, there is this word that showed up in uh, chapter 1, verse 8, when Naomi blesses the daughters to leave her behind, go back to your mothers, and may God show you kindness, may God show you favor. This Hebrew word is the word chesed. Chesed, it means, means grace, means loving kindness, it means mercy. It means, it means redeeming, acting on behalf of one who has done nothing that has compelled you to do so. It is just receiving grace and, uh, where it is needed without any 
any previous action necessary that, that caused you to reciprocate. And it is the theme in chapter 2, this idea of Ruth has shown this grace and this loving kindness and this faithfulness and this mercy to Naomi. And so now Boaz is. I, 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 I want to step outside these kind of first 13 verses for a moment and share with you the 20th verse. It occurs after Ruth returns to Naomi in town, after she finds out Boaz has, has given her these blessings. And, and, and we don't know where they're staying. It just says she returns home. Maybe they're staying at an inn. They found a place that would put them up. Maybe they're sleeping out in the stars, perhaps in a tent, surrounded by other people who don't have a place to stay either. But she retells the story. And in verse 20, Naomi says to her, Blessed be he by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Blessed be he by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. If that word kindness there is that word chesed again. And it's a word that I'm bringing up because not only does it show up in Ruth a lot, but it shows up as the primary theme of God's loving kindness to his people throughout the Old Testament. And themes that show up again, that, that word is the background for the words of grace that we find in the New Testament. And it's this understanding of the Lord has looked down with love, with grace, with kindness for the purpose of encompassing all of us into his plan of salvation, into his family, into his grace. So this is what Naomi is saying to Ruth. God's grace is evident today, right here, because of what is happening, how we're being taken care of. And it opens with a most curious saying, if you look at verse 20, blessed be he by the Lord whose kindness has, has shown to the living and the dead. And it's kind of a weird opening. Blessed be he by the Lord. It's a weird way of putting it. What a, what a strange wording. I know it's very easy for us to say, well, that's just how they write the Bible. <laughs> they just get things where it's kind of like, like hymns, right? Sometimes the words are in backwards order just to get it to rhyme. We're like, ah, I don't know. Just, we get used to reading Old English that way. But the Hebrew is weird as well. Usually the word whose, as in whose kindness, always indicates the word just before it, the antecedent. Always indicates what, what just came before it. So usually you would say, blessed, is he, uh, blessed be he by the Lord whose kindness. And you say, oh, it's obviously talking about the Lord who has kindness for both the living and the dead. But the phrasing and the syntax of the Hebrew is worded in just such a way that it could be referencing Boaz. Blessed be he by the Lord whose kindness has been shown for both the living and the dead. One convincing scholar has suggested that it is purposely ambiguous, that it is a wonderful literary feature of the author to purposely leave it ambiguous in this way, like a poet, who when you read a line of poetry, you say to yourself, oh, I think that's got a couple different meanings in that. And the layers of meaning help you connect in a different way. We are supposed to hear the phrase, whose kindness has not, been forsake, has not forsaken the living or the dead, as both referring to Boaz and the Lord. So let me, let me unpack this a little bit. Boaz has not forsaken the living because he is providing for Ruth right now, in the midst of her need, in her concern right now. And he's not forsaken the dead because he's honoring the commitment to play the role of the redeemer for his kin, to shelter the widows of the family. He is honoring who they are and who they've been for him. And 
And, and if this is referencing God as well, for Naomi to say this about God is to recognize that, wow, this is great. She's coming out of her self-imposed solitary silence. She's seeing that maybe, just maybe, God is at work in the valleys. She's learning that just as when there was a famine and God provided and led them to Moab, then blessed them with a wonderful family, so now too that she's dealing with death, she's realized the Lord is with them during these moments of mourning as well. But when she says and comes to terms with maybe God is with us, and this is, this is something we say, and we recognize, and we felt, and we've, encur- and we've encountered that God is with us. We recognize that that's a personal experience, that we've, we've felt that we've gotten strength when we've needed strength. We've been able to turn to God, and we've, we've been able to receive peace when we've needed peace. But it is more than that as well. For with us in the, in the, in the faithfulness of God's people who recognize that there are roles to be played, and responsibilities that we have when we find ourselves face-to-face with those who are in need. That as, as people who have experienced God's grace, God has a role for each and every one of us. That for Boaz and the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead, and to find ourselves wondering, wait a minute, whose kindness is he talking about? For that to be purposely ambiguous is to recognize that there's a partnering of the grace that we extend with the grace that God extends. That there's always grace to extend, always hesed is available for us to extend, them, to extend to those who find themselves in our fields, among our excess, catching our attention, to find that we are indeed responsible to our neighbor. My favorite part of the parable of the neighbor uh, it's actually called the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, is, is when, uh, is at the very end, when the question that initiated the parable says, Jesus, who's my neighbor? We read, I'm supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells him this parable of the Good Samaritan, and Samaritans weren't any more respected than Moabites. It tells a story of somebody who came alongside and helped. And he, and he asks him this question, who was the neighbor? Who was the neighbor? And the answer in that parable wasn't the person who got hurt, that the person came along and helped. It was the person who extended chesed, loving, kindness, grace, when there was no expectation for it. And so what we find is the neighbor is found wherever there is chesed, loving kindness, grace, and mercy. Where there is no grace extended, we will not find neighbors. Where there is no chesed, there is no neighbor. This is a story about Boaz embodying the grace and promises of God for God's people, embodied here in the story of Naomi, but also Ruth, that, that God's people, indeed the whole world, all of God's creation, ha- have a place in the grace and mercy of our Lord. In this story, the gleaning of the barley fields traditionally, historically occurred in the spring. 
the barley fields mentioned here occurred during the season of Passover. Season of Passover where we recognize God's mercy passes over God's people. A lot of those memorial feasts did indeed coincide with their various harvest festivals. And every week we celebrate a Christian practice that recalls that Passover event. The chesed of God that saves, that liberates, redeems, brings into the family, and brings us into the promise of God. And we recognize that our God reaches down and scoops us up as, as, as children. Say, you are a part of this family. I love and I care for you. His grace is near and it is for each and every one of us. So we have come to learn that this grace of God grabs a hold of us and sets us free in a world that is hurting, sets us free in a world that is going through various stages in life, various areas of need and concern. And we have the opportunity, like Boaz, to lavish grace, loving kindness, hesed on a world that desperately needs it, a world that would be surprised by this grace. And so let us, as people of God, be faithful to the God who still enters our life, still lives and walks among us through the valleys, through the high points, and help to show us how we can live graciously and faithfully with our neighbor. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, this story, for the reminder of what it could look like in a world to be redemptive, to be confronted face-to-face with anyone and say, I'm responsible for this one whom God has brought before me. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, your grace would affect us so deeply that we can't help but reflect that in this world. Help us, Heavenly Father, that when people see the loving kindness that flows from your Spirit working in our lives, that that they cannot help but see God as well. That we might find indeed that the living dead have not been forsaken. Lord, we honor and we appreciate the work of those who have gone before and the lives of those whom you have brought before us now. Thank you again for this time of worship this time of looking into your scriptures. Help us to be the neighbors you've called us to be. Amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. Our website also includes instructions for subscribing to our podcast so you can have a message delivered to you weekly. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.